Hello, welcome to another session of the Cold Chain Summit, where we're talking with industry experts about the latest developments in transport, distribution, and storage of temperature-sensitive products. My name is Eric Kulish. I'm the Air Cargo Editor at Freight Waves. And today, my guest is Donald Harrison, Head of Global Key Accounts for Airlines and Pharma for Envirotainer, a manufacturer and lessor of temperature-controlled containers for air transport. Welcome to the Cold Chain Summit, Donald. Hi, Eric. How are you? You can call me Don if you'd like. Don? Okay, great. Uh, I'm good. Right. I'm on the road here, actually, uh, in Ashburn, Virginia, so doing this uh, remotely. And But thanks uh, for joining the show. Uh, I believe you're up in Chicago, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Happy to do it. Uh, I look forward to the time when I can be on the road again, too, so that's great. It gives so, me hope. Yeah, I'd like to uh, I'd like to find out more about a new Envirotainer product that I'm seeing uh, several airlines adopting. But maybe you could first give us a sense of, you know, kind of the evolution of how coolers for air transport have evolved over the years to today's more active and refrigerated, um, you know, sophisticated uh, units and then and then we'll get into some of that other stuff. Sure. Yeah, Envirotainer has been around for over 30 years, uh, we were sort of the pioneers in, in uh, temperature-controlled uh, transport uh, in ULDs, uh, ULDs being unit load devices or containers that go on aircraft. Um, and we started out with dry ice containers. Uh, and shortly after that, we morphed into what is today known as an active container, where it has the ability to fully heat and cool. Uh, we provide leasing services to our airline and freight forwarder partners around the world. Um, so that's what we do today. And then you mentioned a little bit about the Rely family of containers. Uh, that's that's what's coming up next. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a minute. So let's yeah. just go back and unpack that a little bit. So, sure. so the original containers, dry ice. Uh, that was there was a lot of talk about dry ice last year. You know, leading up to the COVID vaccine distribution worldwide. So um, just you know. Tell me a little bit about how those types of passive dry ice containers work, you know, how long they're effective for, and then, um, you know, what are the advantages of a, of a passive one like that versus these uh, more battery powered or active ones where you can kind of maybe remotely control the temperature or whatever, so. Sure, so I think, I think the beauty of, a, of an Envirotainer type of container is that uh, although they do have some time-limiting factors, uh, the way we work with our airline and freight forwarder partners, it allows you to have almost indefinite control uh, because you can change batteries, you can re-ice containers uh, as needed uh, in order to improve the autonomy of that particular unit. The dry ice units uh, did come uh, up quite a bit as COVID uh, started to take off and the vaccines came around and because of the low temperatures that needed to be transported. Um, but they've been around for a long time and they're actually quite simple. It's uh, it's dry ice and D-cell batteries like you'd use in your flashlight and a fan that circulates air. Um, so it's a fairly simple uh, container to utilize and that's why many customers still use it uh, even today. Uh, it's still probably half of our business, I would say. So why would someone go to one of these more active or refrigerated versions? Sure. There's a lot of different reasons. Uh, it could be quality requirements. It could be complexity of trade lane. It could be value of product. Um, it could just be to have that little bit of extra insurance uh, in, in autonomy or, or uh, insulating capabilities 
uh, across the board. There's, there's a lot of different reasons why someone would move in that direction. Um, typically, we see highest value biologics uh, moving in those active type containers. Right. So does Envirotainer, is it, are your products used for products besides pharmaceuticals? They can be. Uh, we do have some uh, different types, composites, um, different types of chemicals that require uh, temperature control. Uh, obviously, pharmaceuticals themselves, finished goods, but also active pharmaceutical ingredients um, and some of the components that make up uh, the pharmaceuticals themselves. We've transported all kinds of different things uh, that require temperature maintenance. What? It- it's interesting. You said they can be these active ones can be heated or, or you know, up the temperature. Mm-hmm. Who uses that? What what kind of circumstance or application would those be used in? So typically you're going to see high value pharmaceuticals being transported in a unit uh, that both heats and cools. Uh, so regardless of origin and destination. So you could be shipping from Chicago in the winter to Dubai in the summer. Um, you know, you have the capability to withstand all of those ambient temperatures uh, because of the heating and cooling capability. So uh, that's why you would use a, a unit like that. Right. So you got to keep it within a range. It might get too cold in a certain area. You know, you don't. So then you got to kind of heat it back up to to get it within the the appropriate range. So that that's interesting. So okay. So we've kind of uh, discussed a little bit of the history or some of how these products have evolved and what they can do. Um, so yeah, tell us about this uh, the new this Relyi that uh, Envirotainer is out with. I see several airlines have approved its use in their networks. Um, how does it work? How is this another step ahead from the other technology you, uh, you were describing? Sure. So you know Envirotainer's history of of sort of leading the industry. We developed our E1 container, uh, which was the first active and heating and cooling unit. Uh, then we came out with a much larger unit, the RAP container. Uh, which allowed us to ship four pallets or five pallets at a time. Um, that was quite a few years ago. Uh, and we've been talking to our customers about, okay, what do you need? What do you really need in a new active container? And they came to us with a lot of different ideas and suggestions. Um, but industry-leading autonomy was necessary. Um, integrated shipment monitoring, so the ability to track, you know, not only its location, but temperature. Um, performance of the container itself. So there were a lot of things that we did in interviews with pharmaceutical companies, with airlines, with freight forwarders to identify the needs um, and then create the Rely family of containers. Uh, the first one being the RLP container, uh, which is a three euro pallet solution uh, that we brought to market just recently. And you're right, there's, there's a, about 20 airlines now uh, who have approved uh, the Rely RLP container. Uh, to be able to carry it. And then we're working very closely with their pharmaceutical customers uh, to both to qualify that product as well. Right. So so the the advantages are it's got some um, better tracking and um, and w- what's the autonomy component? How does that help with autonomy? What do you mean by that exactly? So when I say when I speak to autonomy, what I, what I'm talking to is the amount of time the unit can operate without any intervention. Right. So it has industry-leading autonomy. It's some of the, the most autonomous uh, containers that we've ever seen. Um, you know, we're talking about, a, in some cases, up to a week without having to plug it in or charge it or make any adjustments to the unit. Um, 
So quite significant. So what does that mean? So is it in use yet? What does that mean when an airline's accepted it? And then um, does that necessarily mean they're leasing it? Or it's just basically kind of approved for their system? You know, what's the next step? How do um, and, and then and then talk about, you know, after that, the mechanics of how uh, an airline leases or, or uses these units and brings them into their uh, station network. Right. So with every uh, aircraft ULD, uh, they have to go through a technical approval that's governed by the regulatory bodies, the FAA, EASA, uh, could be Transport Canada. It depends on, on where that airline is registered and where they operate. Um, so we provide those airlines with all of the necessary technical documents to go through their operator approval. Once they've completed their operator approval and they can actually load it on an airplane, you still have training and you have procedures development and you have marketing and commercial and all the other aspects that go along with uh, transporting the unit. So when they've approved it, that means that they've not only approved it technically, but they can bring it to market um, through a leasing process via Envirotainer. So to answer sort of your second question, how do we do it? Uh, we have we have a grouping of stations around the world um, where containers are available. Uh, they place orders through our online portal. Um, we then either deliver or they pick up the containers uh, from our facility. Uh, and then they then they then distribute it to their freight forwarder or their pharmaceutical shipper customer uh, in order to move that product from point A to point B. And then at the end, they bring it back to us. Right. And how long could those leases be generally? You know, do they take them for a one-time use? Do they rent them for a month, you know, a year? Right. Typically, it's a one-time use. Uh, typically, you see somewhere in the neighborhood of nine to 12 days. Uh, it just depends on the trade lane and the complexity. Uh, we do have longer packages as well, upwards of a month as a standard. Uh, we do quite a bit of customization as well as the customer's needs dictate. Um, typically, we don't see longer-term multi-use leases uh, because there is a level of quality that we're required to maintain because of the value of the pharmaceuticals inside. Every time a trip is taken, uh, the unit comes back to us and we do the necessary inspections, repairs uh, to ensure that, that we're at that highest level of quality possible. What, is the, what are the logistics or who manages the returns and, and you know, process and, you know, that kind of reverse logistics process to make sure you get them back or they're, you know, spread out where they're needed? Um, you know, is that left to the airlines to do or do you do some kind of uh, asset management? Sure. So so first and foremost, I guess we're sort of a technology company. We manufacture containers, right? The second thing we do is we're, we're a logistics company in that we have to make sure that our units are in the right place at the right time to meet order demand. It's done. We have a global logistics department. Uh, it's an entire department of people who are dedicated to playing the chess game and moving those units around the world. Right. Um, and it's done in multiple ways. It's done through network leases, which means you pick it up at point A and, pick, and return it at point B. And then we have demand to bring that unit back. It's also done through support from our airline partners, uh, utilizing empty capacity. It's done via ocean freight. It's done via road feeder service. Uh, but all that's managed by our global logistics planners and our global logistics department. So sometimes there's a round trip component or there's a backhaul that gets them back. But if not, then sometimes you're putting them on um, planes where there's extra capacity, sometimes putting them on ocean vessels, uh, um, sometimes putting them on trucks. Sure. Just depends on on the need and the complexity of the trade lane. 
Uh, it's a little bit different for every single shipment, but you know, from a from a market standpoint, we have the largest number of network lease options uh, available uh, for any active packaging supplier. So you can get pretty much anywhere in the world on a network lease and just leave it there in most cases. Yeah. Let's um, let's talk briefly about some of the macro issues going on. Uh, you know, when we refer to the COVID vaccines out there, where where do you see that um, that migration or development of you know it's only been seven months basically since you know they hit the market and the air cargo uh, industry you know was out there helping to get them out. Um, initially, I think a lot of the vaccines were distributed locally in the US and Europe so there was a lot of road transport but are you seeing more are you seeing more exports and more use more of these vaccines now being shipped internationally across border more you know pickup in uh volume um by air and and how do you see that playing out in the next year or so yeah for sure i think uh you're right i think domestically in the US and then to some extent in Europe as well a lot of road feeder surface uh, a lot of own market manufacturing for own market distribution. Um, but, you know, we've transported since probably the beginning of this year uh, around 450 million doses of COVID vaccine um, in our containers together with our airline partners. Um, I would say that air, air freight is going to continue to provide the majority of the global transportation for uh, COVID vaccines, COVID treatments, um, you know, everything related to COVID testing and diagnostic kits, uh, but that's happening all around the world. And, and now as, uh, as other countries start to receive donations from places like Europe and the United States, uh, we're transporting that as well uh, from the U.S. to, to Latin America to, to some of the, you know, the smaller markets throughout the world who really need it. Are you seeing any um, bottlenecks or supply chain issues with this uh, so far? There was a lot of uh... You know, uh, Y2K fears, uh, so to speak, with uh, how the vaccines would, you know, be distributed, uh, and if there would be problems, especially in the in the air supply chain. How is that playing out so far? I, I think it, it, my opinion is it wasn't as bad as everyone thought it would be. Um, I certainly think there were some logistical challenges initially uh, with understanding how would this be distributed, how quickly would it need to be distributed. Um, you know, I think one of the other challenges from an air freight perspective was the number of flight, flights and capacity was pulled back um, earlier in the year because of COVID. Um, you know, people not traveling, so now you don't have aircraft capacity uh, to move that product. But um, airlines globally seem to have responded really, really well for the need for capacity. And they've done things like, uh, you know, passenger freighters and, and full freighter aircraft uh, in order to make up the difference. So I think the biggest challenge that we faced is uh, ensuring that there's very clear and open communication, especially on some of the more complex trade lanes uh, that exist out there between all the logistics service providers, the airlines, the freight forwarders, the packaging suppliers, and the shippers themselves. Um, that's been extremely critical because it's, it's not a simple uh, game to play. Uh, but if you communicate well, which I think they, everyone has been doing quite well, uh, it's gone as well as it can be expected, in my opinion. Great. Well, listen, Don, um, really fascinating stuff. Um, really interesting how EnviroTainer plays in that space. Thank you for giving us a briefing and lesson in, in cold chain technology in the air cargo sector and uh, 
and we learned a little bit about the COVID vaccine. So fascinating sure. discussion. Uh, we uh, appreciate your time and uh, hope to stay in touch with Environtainer in the future. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. All right.